Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, where you will be equipped and empowered for godly influence in every season of your life. In this episode, you'll hear about the power of God's Word to bring us revelation that produces a revolution in our lives. His Word empowers us to live the life God designed us to live with His power, purpose, and priorities. We'd love to hear how you put this into practice and what you take away from the episode. So email us your testimony at somebodycares at somebodycares.org. Now let's get to what God wants to say through pastor and businessman Bishop Dale Bronner. We have the pleasure of having Bishop Dale C. Bronner with us today. He's also a church planter, author, conference speaker, leadership trainer, and he's also the pastor in Atlanta, Georgia at uh, Word of Faith Family Worship Cathedral. But more than that, I've known Bishop Bronner for, golly, at least 30 years and uh, has been an uh, influencer in my life, has impacted my life in so many ways, and honored that I'm considered one of your friends. And of course, I look up to you in so many ways, and we've walked together through Christian Men's Network. We're also co-conveners on the United States Council of Apostolic Leaders uh, weekly calls. And uh, we've had so much opportunity to interface together. And you've been such a great blessing to so many, but to me personally, and to my family as well. Bishop Bronner, thank you so much for being with us today on our Transforming Leadership Series and for taking the time to, to do so with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Like the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, you put out these statements that you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, because it, it has so much to unpack. One of the things I like to do is to let people know a little bit about each of our guests, about their own personal journey with the Lord. How did they come to a revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection? Michael J., Michael Jr. says, the comedian, what do you do? And then they'll tell what they do. And they says, now, why do you do what you do? And it reminded me of a conversation you and I had uh, after you'd had me minister at your church in Atlanta. We were sitting out somewhere. And I just said, you know, it just grieves me to see so many people that many we've looked up to, many we know, people that I've, I've walked with over the years that are not finishing the race well. And they have compromised because we know that no leader sets out to fail. There's, oh, I can't wait to get in the ministry or get into business so I can fail. No one does that. Life happens and things happen and circumstances happen that distract us from our destination. And I remember you looked at me and you said, could it be that it's because their passion for the things of this world has become greater than their passion for Jesus. And I just began to think about that. And I began to quote that. I still give you credit. And, uh, but I say, you know, our passion for Jesus must be greater than our passion for anything else. And, and that's really one of the examples you've given to many of us and to me is to don't lose focus of your destination. Don't lose focus of your passion for Christ. It must be greater than anything else. So tell us a little bit about your journey with the Lord and I actually first heard the voice of God when I was seven years old. Uh, just as a little a preface to that, I, um, I'm actually a fourth generation preacher from my mother's side of the family. Uh, great grandfather, great, great grandfather, great, great, great grandfather, and then a fourth generation businessman on my dad's side of the family. I mean, my great grandfather owned a chemical company in South Georgia way back in the 1800s. And so um, I'm this unique blend, both of, of ministry and business. I didn't see that there was a conflict one between the other. In fact, in, in Hebrew, the word uh, for businessman actually is the word translated as man of faith. 
because it takes faith to go into business. Business is a risk. And every time we opened a new location, I watched my dad. I was so blessed with Christian heritage, my mother and father being raised in the church. Both of them were believers. They were uh, actually, both of my parents were Methodist. When they married, they joined the Baptist church. So I was actually raised in the Baptist church and it gave me some good, strong Baptist uh, foundations, but fell in love with Jesus at just an, an early age. To me, I, I almost felt as though it wasn't so much my pursuing the things of God as much as I was apprehended by the things of God. They arrested my attention. That was, I don't know that I could take credit for something if, if you get baptized in something that's a part of a revival and just say that it was, it was your own enthusiasm that caused you to turn to the things of God, he arrested my attention. He arrested my attention. You know, a couple of my older brothers, you know, they, they were raised in the same household uh, with the same wonderful Christian parents, and, and uh, they went around to investigate the things of the world. <laughs> you know, they, they were raised in church. They loved God. They were respectful. They would be what I would call sweet sinners, sweet sinners. <laughs> but there was such a deep love and, and hunger uh, in my own heart, you know, just, just to know God. He gave me a voracious appetite in my heart to know him. And so I just started pursuing him even before I got into my teen years and just reading the word. And I learned his character through his word. And little did I know that I would be called to do what I am doing in ministry and in the business world, but that was a preparation. I think that the hunger drove me. It was a hunger. God put a God hunger in my soul at an early age. To me, that's what revival does. When God brings revival, there's a spiritual hunger that fills the hearts of the people. There's an excitement. You don't have to bribe people to come. You don't have to do incentives for them to get there early or on time. It is the hunger that drives them. And to me, when we have a God hunger, there's a, there is, a, one of the philosophers said of old, that there's a God-shaped void inside of every man, inside of every woman, and nothing fills it but God himself. And we try different things, but I, I didn't go the way of the world. You know, the only one time in my life that I went to a party, it was a, a young man in my neighborhood. I was driving my motorcycle. I had never fallen on my motorcycle, got right in front of the house where the party was to be and fell on my motorcycle. <laughs> and I looked up and I said, Lord, I, I get the message. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel as though I was punished. I, I was just called. So my desires were different. And that happened at a very, very young age, as early as I can remember. But I first heard the voice of the Lord speaking to me when I was just seven years old, letting me know that I'd be, be used for God's purpose. Wow. That is so amazing that you say that, because I think many of us, if we really consider it, the Lord arrested us. He, he, yeah. he arrested our soul. He drew us to himself. And I remember some people in our neighborhood. I was in National City, California, just outside of San Diego, as a little boy, and they kept inviting me to this church services, and, and there, I guess, there was a series of, I guess, revival services, and and I something in me wanted to go, so I went with them. And one of those nights, I remember it was some missionaries that worked in the Arctic and in Alaska and other places with, with the indigenous peoples in those areas. I don't remember a thing they said, but the presence of God was so thick. I was like, because I was around seven years old, mm -hmm. and I remember sitting there beginning to weep. I didn't understand what was happening. I was beginning to weep. 
I went to the altar because I sensed God was calling me to do something. I didn't know what, but I knew he was calling me to himself and then with a purpose greater than what I could imagine. And I remember people felt sorry for me. They go, oh, he, he look at he's, he's crying. He's been touched, but he probably doesn't understand what he's doing. I knew I had to get to the altar. I knew there was something about responding to this calling in God's life. Of course, for many years, I, I went the wayward way and I was the prodigal son. I went out and lived the world for many, many years back and forth with God. And finally, it wasn't until 1981 when the Lord really did uh, remind me that I couldn't call him Lord anymore unless I was willing to live for him. And there was a divine encounter for 40 years ago now that God set me in a new trajectory from being in the fitness business into doing what I do today. So uh, I, I get it. He arrests our soul in the process. And I think many of us could look back and realize it really was God pursuing us and yeah. giving us a revelation of himself. Yes, absolutely. We learned from the late Dr. Evan Lewis Cole that assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. And you already alluded to this. Your family, as you said, in the 1800s, all the way to now have been very successful in the marketplace and the business world. And now you and some of your brothers actually pastor, but people's assumptions are that somehow you built these great churches and mega churches and all your complexes and all your outreaches. And somehow that's what you made you successful. But really you've had this unique gifting long before you went and stepped into the vocational ministry of pastoring and the things that you're doing there in the great church that you have, you also are successful even now in the business world. So people, they look at someone and say, oh, they're successful because, but they don't understand the back end and all the things that are going on that have helped you to provide the opportunities even for success in ministry was because the giftings God gave you in business. What are some of those things that you're doing? I know that you're on the board of directors and part owner of the Bronner Brothers Manufacturing Company and and so many other things that are multi-million dollar family-owned companies. What are some of the marketplace things you're engaged in? And then we'll move into what compelled you as, as God arrested you in your salvation to then want to step into vocational ministry? That's a great question. You know, from the beginning, I've never actually felt a conflict between the two. I never felt a pressure that I had to choose between money in the business world and serving God. I only had to choose which one I would serve. And I made that decision really, really early in the ball game, even and when working full-time in the business. Uh, for example, I started in our business probably at the age of 12. And I started handling payroll for our entire organization. We, we've wow. had it up to 500 employees, you know. I started uh, serving and doing all of the payrolls. So I was I was the human resource guy there for all of the years that I was even uh, in high school and college. And I had to do it manually before we had computers and figure gross pay, how much they made per hour, calculate that, and then figure the gross pay back out federal taxes, state taxes, Medicare, and Social Security. So I did- so now Back in those days, you had to use an abacus, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so that was great. I then spent 10 years in IT in our business. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, managing all of our computer information systems. Little did I know that every place that I walked in the business world that God would use it for the ministry. And, and to me, uh, it, uh, despite my, my theological background and training, 
you know, with a doctorate of ministry degree. But to me, my business training in the real world became more practical for all of the functional uh, gifts of actually running a large ministry. I was being equipped and didn't know it. To me, God does not waste our experience. And to me, for me, ministry is wherever people are. I was like the chaplain in our business. If there was a person that was going through depression, having suicidal thoughts, they always brought the person to me. They always. And so my ministry didn't start when I got a church. My ministry started when I was exposed to people. If ministry is in you, if there's a deposit that is in you, God will draw people in your path that need the deposit that God has placed in us. And I've had people to ask, you know, why do so many needy, hurt, abused, abandoned, neglected people keep coming into my life? Why do I run into all of these problematic people? It is because God has given them a grace and a compassion to be able to meet the need that is in their life. Mm -hmm. And so wherever people are is the intersection of our God purpose. To me, people have to understand the difference between the secular and the sacred. Secular simply means it's done outside of the church. It doesn't mean it's of the devil. It's just outside of the church. And you think of people like Daniel that served his entire life, never in ministry, always in government. Uh, the same was with Joseph. He served in government, but he was an agent in the hand of God. There was ministry in him, but it was served out in a secular capacity, but fulfilling the will of God. Look at how that works. So it doesn't have to be this strong dividing line between the secular and the sacred. I think when we properly understand that thing, we see the kingdom of God, whether you're in the fitness business, whether you own a grocery store chain, uh, you know, uh, whether it is a beauty salon or a barber shop, wherever people are, that's where we as agents of Christ, we who know him, we share that same Christ with them. So my ministry was actually being done all during the time that I was was working full-time in the business world in weekly motivational staff meetings. They felt like a church service to me. They really did. Uh, the anointing would flow. There'd be prophetic things would just, just come out without my quoting chapter and verse. So we were able to just do ministry because ministry is not something that you just do. It's who you are. It's an mm -hmm. anointing that you carry. It is a grace and a compassion for people. And wherever we are exposed to the people, that's where that ministry gift is going to be ignited and positive, powerful things will happen. So I never had to choose between the two. Uh, we've, we've done events. We'll bring 50, 60,000 beauticians and barbers from around the world. And of all of the people, then they asked me to speak to them. And, and I had them as a captive audience every year to be able to, to share the glorious gospel of people. It, and it started not because we were trying to force it on them, but when they were coming, they were asking us, where's a good local church here? And we were initially, we were referring people to local churches and busing them, carrying them there. And then we said, hey, we've got space here. We can create, we've got a ballroom that we can, we can use. We've got a minister. Why don't we provide the church for them and they won't have to go any place? Because they, they came from all over the city, from all over the country and from several foreign countries. And so it was really about letting out. That's honestly, when you get blessed, the blessing of God really doesn't put something in a person that's not already in them. It actually lets it out. It exposes it. 
it is that ex, you know, that 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 power that this comes on us that actually releases and lets out to bless. We we think of it putting this thing in us. It was already in us, but it took their touch to unlock it. It took their word, it took their love, their attention, their compassion to unlock the gift of God. It was Paul that said, I'm just stirring this thing up. I'm stirring up this thing. And so when you find that a certain people, they didn't put it in you. Uh, it wasn't that when Mary came into the presence of Elizabeth that she put something in Elizabeth. It was already in Elizabeth. It had just never jumped. Mary's presence stirred Elizabeth and her baby came alive. Her baby moved and quickened in her for the first noticeable time. So that's the way that it is. We carry God's purpose, his anointing, his compassion for people. And when we get in the atmosphere, everything happens in an atmosphere. It's in a, in a place. The presence of God is that kind of atmosphere. It, it, you know, his presence speaks. That's why you can get in the presence of God and begin to weep because his presence speaks. Presence speaks in the same way that absence speaks. Wow. <laughs> you said so much there. I want to touch on something. Ministry is not what you do. It's who you are. Yes. And it's kind of like when the Lord arrested us and revealed himself to us, we're ministers of reconciliation wherever we are. We're reconciled to God through Christ. Now we can be reconcilers. At the same time, vocational ministry is what we call vocational ministry, really is also where God puts his hand on us and calls us into something Yes, uh, and using the giftings that God has given to us. So it's, it's not what we do, it's who we are. Yes. And that's so true. We could be out in a restaurant and my wife says, it's like the homeless people and the needy, or you're like a magnet to them. They always delight it to you. They must have your number or something. And I, and I process that. And my daughter will say when she was younger, mommy, how, when's daddy going to get in here to order to, to get something to eat? And mommy said, well, God always, for some reason, brings people like that to daddy. He's got to talk to them for a little bit and discern what their real needs are and then try to help them if he can. And But it's true. It's like there is something about what God does in us, that we're like a magnet. So even in school, like you said, or going through life, people would always bring people who needed counseling or ministry to you. Even before you were called pastor or bishop or, or Dr. Brana, these were people that just noticed something in you about you that radiated the presence of God and knew that there was an answer there. Yeah, that's so true. That is so, so true. And, you know, we oftentimes don't recognize it until the people just start coming. And we don't recognize that we are releasing an aroma that draws them, that lets them know it's to a starving person, like smelling fresh baked bread. Mm -hmm. They smell the bread. It's not that we're advertising. We don't have a sign on our back saying that, hey, we've got food here to eat. They can smell the goods in us. It's, it's like an aroma. It really is in a positive way. I mean, there, there are people that can be malodorous, and <laughs> uh, but, but it's, a, it's a sweet aroma. And the people that are hungry for what God has placed in us, they can perceive it. They smell it. They, they see it. And as I said, you don't have to advertise it. <laughs> yeah. They recognize it in you. And sometimes we don't even recognize that gift until the people that are drawn into our world, they begin to tell us who we are. That's we good. don't recognize that sound. One of the things I jotted down in one of the notes I wrote, this one's from October 7th of 2011, one of your quotes and I think we've been kind of talking about this because we've also already tapped into why you do what you do in the marketplace as well as in the ministry. You said 
20 years ago, you either live your life by default or design. In other words, divine nature and attributes. And that is so true. I mean, we can live our life by constant default or walking in the divine design that God has given us. Can you unpack that a little bit? You know, when, when, when God designs something, he has thought about everything that it will ever need. Uh, just think about the design of an automobile, for example. Wouldn't it be something if the manufacturer, all of a sudden, when you bought a car, you had to take it back to the dealership to have air conditioning installed because you, you bought it in the winter and they didn't know that summer was coming. They built it with air conditioning in it. If you bought it in the summer, they built it with a heating system in it with the, the, the inclement weather. They built it with wipers already on it, even if it wasn't raining when you bought it. They built it with the storm in mind. God is the master architect. He's the master designer. And there are things that he has designed in us. And we don't really realize how wonderfully and fearfully and intricately we are made until we are able to survive the changing circumstances and situations in which we find ourselves in this life. It speaks to this incredible Elohim creator God and his unique design that he has given us. When we rest in that God design, Everything that we meet on our journey, we are already equipped to handle it. And that's why he never puts more on us than what we can handle. He has built us or equipped us, uh, not only for what we will deal with, but he's empowered us to be able to then equip others for what they are going to deal with. So he's given us more than we need. In fact, the things that we are designed, it's when you think of it like a fruit tree, no orange tree consumes oranges. No lemon tree or peach tree consumes lemons or peaches. They produce it for those that they're called to feed. Mm. And that's by design. That's the design. The whole kingdom of God is built on a seed principle. Uh, everything emanates from a seed. It's a design. And the fullness of everything that it is ever going to blossom into is totally whole and complete by design in the seed. It's locked in the seed. Most people don't recognize the design because it is in seed form. Mm. He never gives the design in a harvest form. He only gives it in seed form because our harvest is too big for us to carry, but we can carry a seed. Wow. <laughs> Something else you said was, out of our mess comes our message. Out of our void comes our voice. Mm. Can you unpack that a little bit? Oftentimes, you know, to me, God never, ever wastes a hurt. Mm. Uh, if there is a hurt in our life, if there's a void, if there's a failure that we have experienced, God doesn't waste it. He doesn't waste it. He uses that for his glory. We connect more with people through our failures than we do through our successes. If God wants to use us, and this is why the apostles writing to people, they started enumerating all of these particular sins. And then he looked at the church and he said, and such were some of you. Uh, it was to say to them that out of our mess that, that's exactly where our message comes from, that there is a redeeming God, that there is a faithful God, that there is a graceful God, a loving God who will not count us out or diminish his love based on anything that we have ever done or will ever do. God's love remains constant. And that 
It's underscored just with God's love because he never, ever will change how he feels about us based on, on, on what we do. He already knew us. He already knew us. And he uses our mess like fertilizer to cause future things to be able to grow in richness. You have to realize, I, my, my dad was a country boy and he would take us out in the back in the backyard and we would actually raise a lot of the, the vegetation and fruit that we ate. And I could not believe that he would go to a place and buy manure in a bag. <laughs> so who would have ever thought that our mess has value? And, and we would sprinkle it all over our backyard. I, you know, I, 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 you're talking about sanitizing and wanting to use alcohol. I mean, I actually, with my bare hands in the backyard, spreading manure, somebody else's mess. <laughs> but it was to make what we were growing uh, richer. It put something back in the soil and connected and helped produce a bountiful harvest that fed us for a long time. Wow. You said uh, optical illusions are only an image and not real. That reminds me of even Psalm 23, that the valley of the shadow of yes. death. It's not death, it's a shadow. And yes. the yeah. optical illusions are only an image and not real. And you said it's time to birth another generation. Don't let the stomach pains keep you from giving birth to the vision the Lord mm -hmm. has given you. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, you know... Any time that you have growth, you have growing pains. It's impossible to birth without some discomfort. And it's impossible to grow without discomfort. The only thing that grows in a comfort zone is mediocrity. It's the only thing that can grow mm. in a comfort zone is mediocrity. Mm. Nothing great, nothing exceptional, nothing that speaks of the glory of God ever comes out of that. And then I think about this. You'll never find one time in Scripture where God ever calls a person to do something that was easy. It's so challenging. It's his way of writing himself into the script of our lives. So he gives us something that looks difficult, challenging, that he knows we're going to need his help in order to get this done. That's the glory of our God who, who gives us an assignment that looks really, really challenging, but he never called anybody to do anything that was easy. Uh, I, I think about when he called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. This was nearly 3 million people. He's now responsible for how they would eat, for how they would drink, all of that, it wasn't easy. He had to depend on God. So it's God's way of saying, you know what? I am writing an epic story in your life. And I'm going to put trials and tribulation and pain and suffering and death and betrayal in it so that you'll know me and that you'll see that I will help you to triumph in every instance of this. I'm right there with you in your pain. I'm right there in the discomfort. I will be with you. So he gives us something that we cannot do actually without his help. For those that don't know the full story, I mean, obviously God has given you um, a sensitivity of the spirit and for people, a compassion that drove you to do what you do. That's, that's why you do what you do. You're also, you speak multiple languages. You're brilliant in, in everything you do, I mean, God's given you that capacity. I mean, you speak Spanish and you speak multiple other languages. 
and your children have grown up into doing great things. You have a, your family loves the Lord. Your family is serving God, but also brilliant minded as well. Uh, was there an intentionality of making sure that the foundations and the fundamentals of their, of their capacity was integrated in their daily living as well as their spiritual journey? Oh, absolutely. You know, to me, excellence is a habit. It, it really is. It is, it is a habit. And I, in, in its simplest form, I would just simply say that excellence is doing the best that you can on the level where you are. But one of the greatest gifts that my father ever gave to any of his children, which I tried to give to my children, was the gift of exposure. Once you've been exposed to something, you cannot unsee it. Mm. It impacts you. We are limited by our environment or liberated by our environment. A small pot limits a plant, a huge field. It exposes it to so much other growth and its roots can just go uh, in a wild pattern, just spreading everywhere. So the environment in which we are is just creating the right kind of environments. I recognize, for example, the, the power of the prophetic and that when I would bring prophetic, other prophetic people around, I wanted my children exposed to that. So that if there is a word of God in this man or this woman of God, they could see this thing and stir something in them, open, expose something that they couldn't see themselves. And I can't tell you the number of times that prophetic people unlocked something. Uh, for example, uh, it, was a, it was a prophet of the Lord that, that spoke to my son who, was, who had no desire uh, for, for going anywhere beyond college. He's like, I'm just struggling trying to get out of here. I just want to get out of here. Uh, but he said, I see for you uh, some more education at, a, at an Ivy League. And he got a full tuition scholarship to Yale. And he went. Wow. And he finished. <laughs> you know, so that, that was unlocked by a prophetic word. But I, I exposed the guy. I knew he was prophetic when I brought him. And, and I wanted them to be in that atmosphere. So not only to want it, them to be able to see it from the excellence in their own family with some of their own relatives and to say, hey, listen, this DNA runs in you, but just to expose them. And they found that even people that might be from very regular, normal kinds of backgrounds, if they have the right exposure, that's what revelation does. Revelation gives you the exposure. Once you see revelation, you can't unsee it. Revelation produces a revolution in us. It changes how you think, how you feel, how you love, how you walk, how you talk. Revelation changes everything. That's an exposure. God gives us a glimpse into the window of heaven and it changes us forever. So when we can change what people are exposed to. If they're only listening to profanity and lewd things that are sexual, it shapes the desires that are in their hearts. But if they are exposed to people of God, love, character, strength, courage, they will gravitate and you'll see those things begin to grow into their life. We're, we're the trees of the Lord and the environment into which we're planted determines so much of our fruitfulness. But fruitfulness to me, always comes as a result of faithfulness. Wow. So you said we are limited or liberated by our environment. That is so good. And then you said something a few years ago, ultrasounds reveals what is internal and already exists. And that really ties into what we just talked about here. There are things by our environment that exist in us, and the ultrasound exposes what exists. And 
we are a product of our environment. What we allow into what the shar are, the gateway of our spirit, uh, through our mind, our eyes, our, our thoughts, and into our uh, heart, which cap- captures us, because uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so yeah. is he. But there's thoughts that will come, but we, if we uh, allow it to go beyond the mind and to fester on it, it becomes controlling our heart. Yes. And so that's so good. So how do we help pull out God's intended destiny, call it out of people? Because I, D.L. Moody once said that there are no limitations to those who've been in the presence of the Lord. Those who don't want to be in the presence of God, how do we plant the seeds of helping them to recognize that the environment of the Lord is the place of the greatest guarantee of success? Oh, wow. That's, that's such a... That's such a great question. One thing I think that we have to correct is people's expectations of even just being in the presence of God. We have made worship a time frame as opposed to a lifestyle. Wow, that's good. It's designed as a lifestyle that in Him we live and we move and we have our being. Uh, nothing more is stirred in people than to demonstrate it in their atmosphere. You know, to me, when I found, I find other people that are, you know, I mean, when I was just praying an hour a day and then I bump into somebody who was praying three hours a day, they just made me feel carnal, you know? But it, it, it made me desire to say, oh God, God, you know, may, may I be able to have a praying spirit like that? You know, it's just, and had I not been exposed to them, that thought never would have filled my mind. It's actually seeing it in demonstration to where it's a positive thing that makes me want to be better. We need to always have somebody in our circle that makes us want to be better. To me, that's, that's the key. It's the, the, the person whose fruit, the, the branches of their tree are so heavily laden with fruit that it, it leans toward the ground. And it says, you know what? Instead of being gifted, and arrogant. I want to be uh, gifted and yet have humility, be, be down to earth. That's what I want. It's when you see that modeled that then we start craving it. it is, it's the simplest way of actually teaching something. It's you learn it, you do it, and then you teach it. You learn, do, teach. It's a cycle of life. We learn, we do, we teach. We learn it, we do it, we teach it. And that's how we, through the demonstration of it, it starts wetting and creating a strong appetite in those around us because it makes them want it. You always need spiritual people that say, you know what? My God, I wish I had a relationship with God like that. I wish I could pray like that. It's not that we try to make somebody feel as though we are super spiritual, but when people can look at our lives and say, I want that, they can tell that you have something with God that they want. That's that's the key. Something you said also, you can't stumble when you're on your knees. Oh, wow. And uh, if we maintain our humility, we lower ourselves and won't have to be knocked down. Wow, that is huge. Can you unpack that a little bit? Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> humility. I, I, see, Bishop Bronner, I listen to you. Uh, you I'm do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You know, see, see, great students don't make great teachers. They, they do. You know, so you know, it's because, you know, we are taught to teach. You, you, we are taught to teach. It is. I, I think, you know, that so often most people assume that the, the brightest mind is when a problem has been presented. And then the first one to, to espouse a solution is the smartest one. Mm. Obviously, in many instances, it's not the first one who speaks that's always has the best solution. 
It's, it's that humble one that will sit back and be calculating. They are rich with resources, rich with experience, rich with discernment. And they are sitting there hearing and learning in quietness. They process better. They get the big picture. They're asking the important questions. What is God trying to do in the midst of this? Has this been done before? They're asking the right questions that actually yield the answer of God. And it will come through with the humility of Christ. I don't see Christ as a, as a booming James Earl Jones kind of voice. He's a very soft-spoken kind of guy whose words have weight. There's a weightiness to his words, what he speaks, but he's kind, he's meek, he's lowly, he's gentle. And in that Gentile spirit, that gentle spirit that he carries, he, he's actually, it makes people strain to hear him. People don't hear in the chatter, the loudness. If you really want attention in a crowd, whisper. People will strain to hear because we love secrets. And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I've got some secrets I'm going to share with you. And it, people were all ears. He wasn't screaming. He didn't have to raise his voice because Jesus knew very, very clearly that your influence or authority does not increase with the volume of your voice, mm. but with your submission to God, mm. listening to his voice. That's good. And, and he could just, he could whisper truths without ever raising his voice. You know, I've seen people rebuking the devil, casting out devils, and it's at the top of their lungs with their veins coming out. I think Jesus could just simply say to the winds, <laughs> settle down. And they would just, they would do it. His authority didn't increase with the, with the volume of his voice. And that's, humility speaks of quiet strength, of a courageous strength. It is, it's not blaring uh, for your own, to bring attention to yourself. We realize that we're a sign that's pointing to him, saying, you know, God, this this is for you to be able to get the glory out of this. That's the power of the humility. That's why one of the, the, the hallmark essence to me of the prophetic is its humility, because it has to always point back to God. You know, a lot of people see the grandiose success of, of your life, family, ministry, and that's without a doubt. Uh, and you've endorsed some of my books, including Who's Your Daddy Now? In Search of a Father's Blessing. You endorsed my book, Leadership Awakening. But part of that Leadership Awakening principle was fundamentals. And that we, to have lasting success, there has to be fundamentals and foundations to build on. And you've shared some of those today. In that, every great leader I know, as you said earlier in our conversation, if you look throughout scripture, they always had challenges, pains, failures uh, that they had to overcome. Yeah. So in all the great things that God has been able to do in your family, for you, in your ministry, as well as the business ventures you're involved in, you even talked about the word betrayal earlier. That means that many of us understand the pain of betrayal by those you didn't expect to betray you. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's out of misunderstanding, or it could be, as you said before, a wounded spirit is subtle, and it yeah. starts murmuring and gossip, but eventually becomes a staph infection. Yes. And, and those things come from that wounded spirit that, that if it's not dealt with and yes. rooted out, Absolutely. it actually inhibits not just the people they're coming against and betraying, it, it inhibits their capacity yes. to be able to succeed in life. Absolutely. So is there a place, maybe something that comes to mind, 
as you know, I've gone through some unexpected detours I didn't expect a few years ago with cancer and other things. We all go through something. Could you just share how, and maybe if you've come through some place of betrayal or a place of unexpected detour, but how you maneuvered through that to keep walking in the victories God has given you? Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a great question. Sometimes the people that are the most needy, that you might have given the most time, energy, resource, and counsel to, and once you make them better, then they leave you. And I, I, I was wondering, I was doing that, and I'm like, Lord, is there something, if this, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> you know, why have the, you, you brought needy people here? We, we help to heal them, get them strong, and then they walk off and leave. And it, it felt like a betrayal to me. It really did. And the Lord gave me this picture, and it just really brought peace to my heart. So I give him credit that it was him. It brought peace to me. It was as though he was saying, you were an emergency room doctor for them. They were in trauma. Their lives were in trauma when you encountered them. The trauma patient who's in the ER, they don't develop a love relationship with the ER attendant, that doctor. They didn't know him before the trauma. And they don't maintain relationship with them generally, with him or her after the trauma. It was just for them to get them stabilized to stop their bleeding, to make sure that their airways were open. I had an assignment with them to get them stabilized so that they could heal. Once I realized that this was not a form of ingratitude, they were just wounded, hurt, traumatized people that were looking for help at that time. They didn't care who that person was. And it wasn't to establish a relationship with them. I wasn't their primary care physician. I was just the trauma surgeon working in the ER when I met them and when they met me. But I was assuming that because I helped to save your life here, to lead you to the one who could save them, that maybe that you should be planted here. Just adjusting my attitude. There's sometimes when you cannot control outcomes, control your attitude and your expectations of that. Manage, learn to manage your expectations. Uh, I, I remember a, a season of, of my life, probably two to three years as I was building and expanding, and it's, it puts a different pressure on you to sign your name on, the, on, on a loan that's 30 plus million dollars and you're growing and you've got all of this on you and the weight of ministry and responsibility and sometimes speaking uh, 285 times a year and, and all of these different things. And I went through insomnia. It was torment to me. It was torment. You, you almost start wishing for death. And I dealt with that insomnia. Uh, I, I went to the doctor. I was taking sleeping pills and, and they stopped working. Mm. And I was wondering, you know, God, I, I can't keep functioning this way. I can. It was a pain to me. And one day when I was reading in the scriptures about the Apostle Paul talking about how he had been shipwrecked and beaten, he also said sleeplessness. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when I found what was afflicting me at that time. And I'm like, God, I'm a man of faith. This is not supposed to happen to me. I'm, you know, you give your beloved sleep, but I wasn't, it was escaping me. And it was tormenting to me. Uh, I mean, for two to three years. And all of a sudden, one day, my wife looked at me and she said prophetically, this is the last time you'll take a sleeping pill. And sure enough, that was the last time that I ever took a sleeping pill. And I, I slept like a baby that night and have not had another problem since. So, you know, I, wow. I'm so grateful. But I thought that, you know, that I should have been exempt. I'm like, Lord, I'm serving you. You're not supposed to let these kinds of afflictions 
uh, hit us. And, and sometimes while I'm, I'm lying there awake, anxiety attacks would like hit me. I had never dealt with that before. And I'm like, Lord, I'm a man of faith. Panic is fear. I rebuke this, <laughs> you know. And what do you do when you rebuke something and it's still there? And that's where I was. It caused me to come to know God in a deep way, a deeper way, and to trust him, even when I could not understand him. Wow. And so I felt like, like Job, that Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. My trust in God deepened during that time that I was experiencing something that was contrary to my faith. That's true with, I think, all of us that when we, we meet those unexpected detours, Yes. If, if one, I always check first, God, if there be anything in me that I need to deal with, God, is it you trying to get my attention? Is the devil trying to distract me? Is it me as a hindrance? And, and once I've gone through that, I know that the Lord is for me. So who can be against me? And yes. if I keep my vision of destination, hold on to the landmark promises of God that he's been faithful along yes. the way. You know, one of the things I wrote a few years ago, and I know that you live this, it's the power of prayer, compassion, and generosity. Hmm. And there's something about that Isaiah 1 model that when we pray, raise our hands, it's not without a purpose. We have a purpose. It's take care of the widow, the orphan. It's the shedding of innocent blood, uh, justice. All these things are part of God's heart for us to be the ministry of reconciliation in a world that desperately needs that. Uh, you have exemplified that in so many ways by not trying to fight battles and, and lose a war. You have been one who's been able to stay focused pointing to the centrality of the cross, pointing to Jesus along the way. And I thank you for that example to all of us. You know, we're recording this on the, the sixth day of the 2021 World Series game tonight, wow. which is the Atlanta Braves yes. and, uh, and the Houston Astros. And when this airs in our podcast, we will know who's the World Series champion. <laughs> but I've got to say this, and I've said this before, uh, in fact, during the seventh game of the World Series a few years ago, I said at the end of the day, some of us will be disappointed. Some of us will be ecstatic that our team won. But at the end of the day, as believers, that we will still love each other and we still have the Lord together. So it doesn't matter what circumstances may bring. We have to be intentional about becoming part of something greater than ourselves. I believe that, as you said earlier, about our passion for God has to be greater than our passion for anything I wrote down, we need a renewed passion for God that gives us a compassion for others. Genuine passion for God allows no room for compromise or mediocrity. How can we settle into complacency while multitudes upon multitudes of lives are in the balance of eternity? Hmm. How can we be so hardened of heart as to sit back on the beach of comfort and apathy while so many are still shipwrecked in the sea of despair and destruction? Wow. And I think that really summarizes your heart, I believe, if not compromising God's word, but keeping your focus and the power of, of the place of posture of prayer, the power of prayer and humility, compassion and generosity. Would you take our last few moments and would you just speak into us and would you pray for us and pray for those that will be listening to the podcast and watching on the YouTube Leadership, Transforming Leadership series uh, to encourage leaders to keep persevering, keep their focus, don't let the circumstances dictate to them who they are, but that only God will lead them into their divine destiny. Well, and, and let me just thank you, Doug, just for, for who you are in the kingdom, for the faithfulness and the steadfastness of your voice and for bringing truth. I mean, 
all that God has graced you to do in ministry has never been about you. You've always made it about God, about Jesus, and about the people that he loves so dearly. So thank you so much for demonstrating, for modeling it through your own life, your genuine compassion for Jesus Christ, and through seeing that being served out by serving the people that he loves so dearly. Thank you so much for that, that you, you, you've gone after the lost, the least, and the last, and, and have treated them like a, a premium citizens of the kingdom. So thank you for just seeing something in, in fallen humanity and helping to restore people coming to them at, at some of the worst times in their life. When others are running from the building that's on fire, you're uh, rallying volunteers and supporters to actually go into the fire. So <laughs> thank you so much, uh, you know, for how you have loved and how you have served uh, over the years, you know, through difficult times and, and uh, slim times and have seen the faithfulness of God time and time again. And I think that this is one of the reasons why we all, uh, if we ever become troubled, if we think, you know, God, what is this world coming to? Go back and study history. And you'll discover that the farther back that you look, the farther ahead that you're liable to see. Wow. This is not the first time that we've seen uh, parts of the generation where they pull away from God, where there's a great falling away. It has happened throughout history. God is in control and Jesus loves the church. He loves this body that he gave himself for. And whether people think that they're just going to be in an online kind of a capacity, this, this is only a season. This is only a season. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, his soldiers, is not the place, it's the people. We cannot be shut down. We are alive and are a thriving body serving the cause of Jesus Christ. Even whenever there is a uh, an electrical outage through a storm. I've, I've, I've often told people we're, we're without electricity, but we are not without power. Mm -hmm. And so it reminds us that we carry with us amid all kinds of, of dark times, we still have God's power. And to me, the glory of God shines brightest amid a black or dark backdrop. And God is setting us up, I think, for one of the be most beautiful end time harvests. Uh, that that latter harvest, uh, the latter rain that produces a latter harvest, and if we'll be faithful to still plant, while we're out in the fields sometimes alone, and when water seems scarce, because we we trust Him when we plant, it's it's a it's a demonstration of our faith that we believe that harvest is coming, and we're we're doing the right thing with the seed, is to plant it in a ground even if it looks dry, and trusting the Lord of the harvest to send the rain. And not only that, the rain, but also the laborers. Pray to the Lord that he would send laborers. God has laborers. He didn't design for you to do it all alone. Pray to the Lord. He says, look to me and I will send you the laborers. And sometimes we felt like lone rangers pulling and trying to manifest a vision and fulfill a call. And there are laborers who are assigned to your vision a sign to the God cause that is in your heart, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his vineyard. It is the time. This is a, it's an interesting time to be alive, but one in which our faith will not fail us in the same way that Jesus prayed that, uh, that Peter's faith would not fail. And he says, and when you are converted, when you are converted, use that to strengthen the brethren. 
And this is where we are now. We, we're in a, in a time where our faith is alive and well, and he's, he's trusting us. So let me just pray for us Amen. now. Yes. Father, thank you so much for each man, each woman that is, that is watching right now, that is listening. You know every issue that they deal with and struggle with in their own heart. Thank you for being the Lord of the harvest. Thank you for knowing us through and through, designing us in such a perfect way. Thank you that we are built for this. Thank you for every co-laborer. Thank you for divine resources to be able to help us to do everything that you've assigned our hearts to do. Father, may you introduce us to new challenges every time that our passion begins to wane so that once again, the wind of your spirit will come and we will be reignited into bursting flame and that that flame, Father, will be so contagious that a great conflagration of your glory will fill the earth, God, and spread like a wildfire once again. Give us a hunger for you, Lord, like we've never had before. Oh, God, don't let us die until we are able to show your power and your grace, God, to another generation. May we, Father, be able to connect them to you, to be able to trust you, God. God, I pray that you will heal even our sense of identity of who we are, where the enemy has come and robbed that. Father, help us to see clearly who you've called us to be, what you've called us to do. May you strengthen our hands, God, for the assignment that you have caused us to be born for. May your will be done and your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Bishop Bronner. If you need prayer today, email prayer at somebodycares.org. You can also call or text our 24-hour Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-CARE. Again, that's 855-459-CARE. Share this message with a friend and subscribe for weekly encouragement and inspiration. You can learn more about the ministry of Somebody Cares at somebodycares.org. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.